family. My name's Chubbs the Addict. We're not going to start this podcast today with any music. I'm not going to play this disclaimer recording. I'm just going to tell you uh, this podcast is for members of Narcotics Anonymous, and it's not an NA meeting. It's an NA member speaking his mind. If you're not an NA member, we respectfully request that you tune out at this time. These disclaimers on the other podcasts apply to this one. This podcast, I hope I'm speaking to the other side, or at least some people on the fence. And by that, I mean the baby blue issue. Because what I'm going to talk to you about today, tonight, whenever you happen to be listening, has nothing to do with traditionalists and conceptualists and Nas groups and groups who choose not to be part of Nas or anything like that. If you're listening, I'm going to ask you to just clear your mind. Whether I'm preaching to the chorus or you're just learning about this baby blue thing or you think you hate it. I want you to forget all about the baby blue for a minute. And I just want to tell you a story. I don't think there's too many of us that didn't come into this program desperate. If we didn't come in desperate, I think we got there. I didn't come in through the jail system, but a lot of us sat in jail cells. We've all sat in prison, whether that be self-made or otherwise. And I want you to imagine you're in a prison cell. And your life is a mess. And you've lost everything you own, your family. And all hope is gone. And you just want to die, but you lack the whatever it takes to commit suicide, or maybe you've even tried it before. I don't know if there's a member of this fellowship that hasn't been there. And you've tried everything. You've tried to control whatever this is. You're willing to do anything. You know something is wrong with your life. If you're like me, you don't even know what the definition of clean time is yet. But maybe you think your problem was drugs. Maybe you found a book from another fellowship, a really big book that you didn't quite identify with, that talked about a disease that wasn't quite yours or that you didn't quite understand or that was a little too substance-specific for you. And imagine you're in this cell, you're at a loss, even if it's not a jail cell, whatever prison you were in, remember it. Remember that desperation. Imagine one day from either the library or from a group of addicts that comes into the prison or the jail that you're given this book that says Narcotics Anonymous on the front. And you read that book and for the first time in your life you'll find an answer. Even though you're doing everything you can to not identify with these people, there are parts of that book that speak to you. Even though you're comparing everything you can, you can't help but identify. And you read the hope in that book, and you know those people aren't loaded, and you know they're not lying. And you've known you need to do something about your addiction. And if you're like me, I had to do something about my drug problem, not my me problem. Maybe you realize maybe you're done, and you don't know how to be done. You don't know how to stay stopped, 
Or if you're like me, you think you only need to stop certain things. But there's so much hope in that book. And for the first time in your life, you know that this group of people that wrote this book is someplace you belong. And you're willing to try everything, anything, even if it means giving up all the drugs that you don't want to give up. Even if it means you can't control this and you need to surrender, you're willing to try. Do you remember? Do you remember the first time you read that book or the first time you were in a meeting and it actually sunk in and you actually knew you were in the right place? My first experience wasn't with the book. It was with a meeting. And maybe you went to meetings for years before you found that hope and realized what it was you were hearing. Maybe the light came on immediately. Maybe you were actually reading that book the first time. Maybe it was in a jail cell. But whatever your situation was, imagine it is a jail cell. And imagine that first flicker of hope coming from that book. So be willing to bet if you're listening to this podcast, you've read it. And I don't give a shit which edition it is. Imagine you're sitting there and remembering what it was like when you first found that message and when you first knew what it meant. Maybe it was the first time you realized, like me, what the words just for today actually meant. That it was possible. Maybe like a friend of mine, you finally realized this is powerless over addiction, not drugs. And you finally got it. Do you remember? And let me ask you a question. Did you give a shit what color the book was? Did you give a good goddamn who owned the copyrights or who thought they did? Did you care if it was a baby blue cover and a thin paperback book that looked like it was printed on a half-assed printing press? Did you care that it was a hardcover with a shiny blue book protector on it and a nice dark blue hardcover emblazoned in gold lettering or maybe a leather-bound collector's edition or a red first edition? Did you care if it said Karina or WSO Incorporated or Nas Incorporated on the spine or if it said nothing at all? Or had a page in the back about why we used the baby blue? Did it matter? I want you to imagine something else for me. Imagine a corporation is entrusted to hold that book in trust. And I'm not going to get into legal issues on this podcast. We talked about them in other programs and other uh, podcasts. And we're going to talk about them in future podcasts. Imagine there's a corporation that's supposed to protect that literature to make sure that it can always get into the hands of the addict who still suffers, people like you and me. And imagine somebody in an area service meeting gets a memo from that corporation talking about the members of the fellowship need to quit printing the literature. Imagine somebody in that area, in an area or region, gets this memo from a world board or a corporation and says, and they want to do the right thing. 
they send an email to somebody at NAS or they call somebody at NAS and say, this book's going into the prison systems, this illicit literature you told me about. What can I do to stand up for Narcotics Anonymous? And they think they're doing the right thing. And so they get a letter, a form letter, and they tell you you can't have that book. But you've already got it, right? Well, you imagine, imagine you're that addict that comes in the next day or the next month or the next year who doesn't get to hear that message. And I know that same memo says, or letter, whatever you want to call it, says we'll be happy to provide free literature. i got a question. Why the hell weren't you already? I'm going to tell you something else. That memo doesn't say we'll provide a basic text. It says we'll provide free literature. And I know what that is. You know what that is. If you don't read the history, go read the memo from, I don't know if it was October, November 2014. It may have been presented to you as something that was done by the RDs. It was actually written by one or more members of the World Board. And in it, it says, why can't we have a free or low-cost basic text is a frequent question from the fellowship. It says this is fundamentally an issue of economics. And if you think, well, a little white book, which my knowledge are not printing anymore, will be enough. Remember when you were a newcomer again. Remember that yourself or some IPs. Because I remember when I was a newcomer and I came and I heard that message in my first meeting and I, I saw hope. And even though I didn't want to belong, I knew I belonged for the first time in my life, even when I was a child. So imagine instead of this basic text, you have these IPs and maybe a white book or an introductory guide to Narcotics Anonymous or whatever it is they call it, I read them all. I remember when I couldn't afford a basic text. And I don't, I don't care about the line, well, you could afford to buy your dope. Why can't you afford to buy a $12 book or a $10 book or whatever, to, whatever it was that it cost when I came in? It doesn't matter. When we came into this program, we started doing things right. When I came into this program... I'd finally gotten off somebody's couch and into an apartment. I was a single father with custody of my son by the grace of God. And I had to put food on the table and do all the other things that responsible adults do. And that meant that that $10 or $12 or whatever it was at the time was a good chunk of change. I don't remember how long it was. It was a month or two weeks or three weeks. But I do remember I devoured every piece of literature I could get. I do remember that I read that white book I don't know how many times, and it wasn't enough. And I don't mean that I couldn't stay clean with meetings and all that. I meant it wasn't. I had a hunger. It wasn't enough. But imagine you're in a jail cell and you don't just have meetings to go to all the time and you don't just have a sponsor that you can call on the phone whenever you want. Maybe you got an H&I meeting from a fellowship that you can identify with once a week if you're lucky, if you're lucky enough to have one in there. Maybe you happen to be in a facility that only has a meeting because a group that's off the official schedule is bringing it in. I'm going to ask you another honest question. Some of you may have seen stories or even been personal witness to things like people confiscating baby blues, stomping on them in meetings. But I don't hear about addicts tearing up sixth editions or stomping on them at service meetings. 
and it's not because we don't have strong opinions. I'm going to be honest with you. When I go into a meeting, a group that I loved, a group I got clean in, I struggle when I see certain books. But you know what? That meeting sells six editions. And they give away a free baby blue to every newcomer who wants one, to every addict who wants one. And most of the people in that meeting don't do it because they have issues with the book one way or the other. They do it because there's somebody willing to carry the message to the addict who still suffers without a bottom line. And if you're still listening, if I haven't lost you yet, I want to ask you one more question in this little scenario where you're sitting in this prison cell and don't have access to an NA message, but you have this book brought in. If it's not enough for you to put yourself in that position, maybe you're like me and you're an addict who has children. And maybe you're like a whole lot of us who have children and you have watched your children walk our path. Maybe you're like me right now and you have an adult child out there whose cell phone is not ringing, who is not returning texts, who you know is getting loaded, and you pray to God they're alive. Imagine it's your kid in that situation not getting a message he or she could have got. And if that's not enough for you, go ahead and turn off the podcast now. It's not enough to at least make you think. You don't have to have a conversion hallelujah, I'm a baby blue enthusiast. I'm just asking you to open your mind for a minute. And if I sound emotional, it's because I am, because this is not about a bottom line. And you don't have to agree with me, and I don't have to agree with you. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we recognized what unity really was? And you could use your sixth edition, and I could use my baby blue and we could just love each other and be okay with it. And I tell you, it is possible. I see it in a lot of meetings. And I'm not going to put the region or the area on Front Street where I'm at because it's not my decision. But I see those books coexisting in meetings all the time. And I've seen it in other meetings and other areas and other regions. And I'm going to make amends right here. And it's not really amends because more of an apology. But hopefully by my actions you will see something that has been an occasional behavior with me cease because I've used words like Kool-Aid drinker online before. And I'm sure I did it out of the same reasons that maybe those of you on the other side use words like malcontent. We feel attacked. I was going to say I do the addict thing. I probably do the human thing and attack back or refer to something as drinking the Kool-Aid or buying the bullshit out of frustration. I'm asking for that to cease. I'm not saying that I'm going to quit standing up for what I believe in in the traditions or that you should quit standing up for what you believe in. It's about lovingly educating each other and allowing groups to be autonomous and getting this message out there. I told you I'm not going to get too into the copyrights and all of that stuff, but I would like to pose another simple question to you. The groups are defined as the owners of our literature. The FIPT makes very clearly it defines the primary unit of the NA Fellowship as the groups. 
again, we're going to leave the whole debate aside as to whether service structures are part of NA or not. But you and I are the owners of that literature. It doesn't matter which side you're on. That fact is acknowledged. The fellowship owns the literature. And even world board memos talk about holding the literature in trust. Now, let's just assume, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but let's assume for a moment that NAS legitimately holds our literature in trust. If they could, again, this is something I don't agree with, but if they could legally say that they have authority to hold that in trust for every home group, even the home groups that have never signed on to giving them that trust. You ever heard of an organization protecting copyrights from the owner? We own that literature. And I do know this. And there were at least a thousand people involved in the writing of the basic text. I've talked to many people who are involved in that process in some way. Some of them to a very large degree. I want to say prominently, not prominently in, ooh, look at me, this is prestigious, but prominently in that they did a lot. People that I've talked to and that I know of never intended for the literature to be protected from publication by the fellowship itself. And I am sure there are people who are involved in that who may feel differently at this point. I'm not ever trying to come on here with intellectual dishonesty. But how do you protect copyrights from the owner of the copyright? There's no danger in the owner publishing our literature. And we can talk a little bit about the, oh, the book has changed. Everything that is in that book, and now we're talking about the baby blue, was approved by the fellowship at some point. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that because there are a lot of things in that book, things that we didn't know that were changed without conference approval, without fellowship approval, that slid by, even in the second edition. And I know that's contrary to what I've said on other podcasts. I'm telling you, I'm not trying to come at you with intellectual dishonesty. We're finding out things now we did not know even a few months ago as far as some changes that were made. But everything in that book, put another way, <laughs> is something that according to Naz's definition has been approved by the fellowship. And yes, there are some lines in the traditions that will tell you that the fellowship took out. And yes, my opinion of that is the fellowship did not take those out. The WSC took them out. And those things are documented in other essays and other podcasts. And I really am not trying to cause a debate on that right now. I'm talking about there's nothing added to that book that was not there. Those traditions essays were not in the first edition. They were in the approval draft, the one the fellowship approved. The reason we have a second edition we made the corporation, or even if it wasn't a corporation at that point, we made the office put those lines back in when service structures and not the WSC took them out without not only the, the fellowship's approval, without the WSC's approval. They were just taken out. And there was another emergency vote, and again, it's covered in other podcasts. And there's a debate as to whether that was the voice of the fellowship or the voice of RSRs that didn't take it back to their home groups. And if you're not familiar with the term RSR, you would call them RDs now. But they operate a little differently now because 
back then, even though there was a vote of confidence, talked about there were no concepts and there was no official service structures having group conscience rather than the home groups themselves. There was a time when somebody talked about getting a worldwide group conscience. It meant taking it back to every home group that they knew of in the world that chose to participate in the conference. And I don't mean to get off track with a lot of different things because whether it's the baby blue or not, I will tell you right now there are groups and areas that have been asked to take down sixth editions, free sixth editions off of their websites. I have seen the memos that talk about fifth editions, and they may not reference fifth editions, second edition specifically, but that any basic text that is not published by NAS is not acceptable. We get memos that say this is fundamentally an issue of economics. We've been told that for years. We're told on one hand the fellowship has rejected this time and time again, yet one of the frequent questions from the fellowship is why we can't have a free or low-cost basic text. And I'm not going to tell you <laughs> there's a poll out there that exists, but I don't know too many addicts who don't want one of those. There's probably a lot that believe that that's not possible. But let's talk about carrying the message to the addict who still suffers and making that our number one priority. And remember, it should be our primary purpose. Is it more important to spend $500,000 a year flying a world board all over the world, putting them up in hotels, feeding them, or to put that money towards putting books into the hands of newcomers? Because if you're someone who's anti-baby blue and you think it's okay to send letters to prison facilities, have you read it? I'll tell you an experience that I hear over and over and that I've actually had on more than one occasion where somebody's a little iffy about the baby blue or they're completely against the baby blue until they read it. And a common response is, I don't know what the big deal is. I don't see a difference. And unless you take the two books, and by that I mean a baby blue and a sixth edition, and you put them side by side and do a line-by-line -line comparison, you'll miss a lot of stuff. There are some differences. Is the overall message of experience, strength, and hope there? Yeah. If you're going to send a letter to a facility, and I really want you to think about that. If an H&I committee or a home group usually home groups through an H&I committee are putting books into a facility that home groups have conscience going in. Do you really feel right about overriding that home group conscience based on a world board memo? And if you do, you feel right about it if you haven't read The Baby Blue if you haven't read the 160 pages of transcripts from the original case, if you haven't read the original court agreement, and if you haven't read the WSC minutes associated with that, if you're going to take that action and you're really going to overrule what a home group has conscienced and you really feel right about taking books out of the hands of still-suffering addicts because of free or low-cost basic text is fundamentally a question of economics, and that's straight from 
a World Board essay. It's a direct quote. At least do the research. At least educate yourself. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't done. I am saying we should allow each other our autonomy and demonstrate real unity. It's not about compromising your principles. I can still speak up, and you can still speak up if you're a supporter of the sixth edition. And if you're somebody who loves them both, please do speak up. So that people like me who have a tendency to sometimes throw around terms like Kool-Aid drinkers and people on the other side who have a tendency to sometimes throw around terms like malcontent can see the truth and see your example and realize that real unity is in allowing each other to lovingly carry this message of narcotics anonymous to the addict who still suffers. The same way when somebody shares in a meeting that maybe says a lot of stuff we don't agree with, we don't kick them out. We allow the newcomer to take what they can use and leave the rest. And thank God for that. Because what I've got to say may not save somebody's life, but what that guy across the room that's pissing me off that I can't stand what's coming out of his mouth got to say may give somebody another 24 hours that might lead to a lifetime. It might save a life that night. Enough of this bullshit about kicking each other off of schedules and telling people what is and what isn't N.A. Because none of us get to decide. You know, and let the person with any amount of clean time that's never broken a tradition cast the first stone. Because the traditions are not negotiable. <laughs> but we do not get to police each other, and that may sound like a contradiction in terms. I'm just telling you, learn and study these traditions. I promise you'll understand what I'm saying. The traditions are not negotiable. That means we have a right and an obligation and a duty to speak up. It doesn't mean we have a, a, any type of right to tear each other down or to mandate, rule, censor, or dictate anything to one another. And I have seen this work time and time again. This is what I'm doing now. I'm standing up for what I believe about the traditions. I'm begging. I'm pleading. But the still-suffering addict has the book. And I don't have to tell any of you what you can and can't do. And I don't have to have a service body try and force the issue because I think we've all seen in recent months that does more harm than good. Because honestly, when there's baby blues and six editions in the same area, there is no controversy until a service board tells us there should be one. And if you really believe that home groups printing a free basic text is outside the traditions, 
and you've educated yourself, let's speak up. But do it in the right way. And don't try and get groups removed from meeting schedules and <laughs> have areas tell people that group's not in a we can all coexist. We can do more than coexist. We can have true unity. I've seen it time and time and time again. And if I could just repeat something, how beautiful would it be if you could read your sixth edition, I could read my baby blue, and we could all just be concerned with carrying the message to the addict who still suffers. I love you all. Thanks. <laughs>